Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon, and today I'm excited to welcome Rick Perrin. I'm really excited for this conversation because it's something that I've tried to get a, a, a grasp of uh, for quite some time now. And uh, we're, we're talking about business valuations and, and shop valuations and, and really kind of diving into some of the, the business aspect. And I think the cool part about this conversation is, is it's not just that a shop owner needs to know this, but there's probably a lot of technicians out there that might be looking at either taking over a business or uh, trying to go out on their own. And I think this is a lot of really, really good information uh, for all of you. Uh, so welcome to the show, Rick. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jay. Good. So uh, why don't you start by giving uh, us a little background on, on who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, Again, my name is Rick Perrin. I am a, a partner with a firm called B2B CFO. So we are chief financial officers. Uh, we provide uh, financial strategy, financial consulting, operations consulting to, to businesses, primarily to help businesses to increase profitability, increase their value for this exact same thing, uh, help companies exit their businesses uh, profitably and successfully. There's a lot to that. Uh, I started out uh, with a degree in accounting and an MBA in finance many years ago. Have been uh, worked my way up through the accounting world. Was the chief financial officer of two uh, two mid-sized manufacturing companies, and then for the last 15 years, I've been a partner of B2B CFO, working with over 80 different companies, helping them to improve financial management and profitability. Wow, that, that is awesome. That is, so this, I, I, this is the stuff I'm excited about diving into because as I mentioned in uh, the intro, it, it really is something that I don't have a good idea of, or I, you know, I, I, I've got kind of, a, kind of an idea, but not, not great. So I think there's a lot of people out there like me that uh, like to dive into this stuff. So when, when we're talking in regard to a shop, right? And, and it, I don't know if it's the same for a dealership as it is a, an independent repair shop, and we'll dive into that kind of stuff. But maybe talk about what somebody should be looking at as they're going into, you know, maybe we're going to start with from the from the perspective of somebody that owns a shop right now, or man, you know, really kind of manages that shop and is is uh, looking at the future. What are important things to them that they need to be looking at where maybe they they don't do a good job of it right now? Sure. Well, it it all relates back to uh, a lot of it does relate back to the financials and all of the things that you do in how that relates to your earnings. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of soft things in, in your business, but when it comes to selling your business, uh, I assume most people want to try to get as much as they can out of it. Um, it you're kind of silly not to. doesn't mean that you have to sell it to the top dollar, to the, you know, the highest bidder, but uh, you certainly, after all of your hard work, after the number of years, you want to get uh, the most you can for it. And so, 
things that you want to do is obviously increase your profitability. Uh, the profit in, in most businesses, the, the value is based on the amount of money that you make. And um, so things like improving revenue, having good revenue and profits, having good management and staff in place, um, having a good reputation, having good software you know, programs, keeping your equipment uh, up to date and, and in good condition, you know, just when you walk in, just the, the looks of the place is certainly gonna affect the value. If it's dirty, if, if uh, you know, there's stuff all over the floors, uh, you know, that, that kind of projects who you are and uh, can, can, can uh, affect the, you know, the value of the business. Um, you know, the amount of competition in the local area, the involvement of the owner, so there, there's lots and lots of things that, you know, affect what the value of that is. But a lot of those things kind of relate right back to the profitability. So when, when you're looking at that, and one thing that you, you talked about there, you mentioned there was the involvement of the owner. What is attractive to a maybe an uh, incoming buyer? Is it that there, because it, the way that I view it is that you, you want somebody that you want the business that is, I don't want to say self-sustaining, but really isn't maybe overly reliant on one person, because if that person leaves, then you're, you're kind of stuck. Is that, is that actually true? Or is that just something that I'm dreaming up? No, that's absolutely true. Uh, very, very true. In most businesses, uh, one of the, and in, in, in business sales, one of the most pressing issues or, or one of the biggest obstacles with many businesses is that the owner is the business. And if that owner is not in the business, uh, the business really can't run very well. And so, so in, in this, you know, in the shops, in these kinds of businesses that are, you know, normally a little smaller than some of the larger businesses that get sold, but the, it depends on, you know, is the owner turning a wrench? Is the owner working on the, on the cars uh, and trucks? Or is the owner really just managing the business? And so I'm sure there's going to be, with, with all of the listeners, there's going to be a combination of both. But uh, the, the, the owner wants to get, you know, it would be of benefit that that owner gets the business where he's not spending as much time with, you know, with a wrench in his hand or her hand. And, and the shop kind of, takes care of itself and obviously the owner is very involved in managing that but has all the processes and procedures and 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 things in place where he can walk away uh, the new person can walk in obviously that owner may stay around a while and and help train or or you know show some ropes to the uh, to the new owner but uh, being able to uh, you know, the worst thing that could possibly happen would be, you know, if, if that owner is, is needs to be there every day for that shop to run. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that a, a lot of, especially the independent shops that we deal with are maybe struggle with. Right. And I think it goes back to that working on the business as much as working in the business. Right. Or, and really trying to work on everything that is, that drives exactly what you're talking about, that other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's, there's obviously a lot to running a business other than, um, 
you know, the, the actual product that's, that's put out. There's all of the, you know, the accounting and the marketing and the uh, um, insurance and, you know, and, and um, advertising and website and all of those kinds of things. And so normally at a smaller shop, it will be the owner who probably knows most of those things. And those are the things that they'll have to communicate and transfer to the new owner. But as long as that shop is running and running well, uh, has good employees that have been there, you know, without a lot of turnover, that would certainly be a, a, a big red flag or a, a positive if, if the turnover was low. Uh, or even having a lead mechanic out there that kind of had been around a while and knows some of the customers and, and uh, uh, the, the, that would certainly be helpful. You know, a lot of this, Jay, is just common sense, right? It, um, you don't need to be an accountant or a CPA or anything like that to understand if you walk into a business, do they have good customer service? Is it clean? Uh, do they seem to know what they're doing? Are they, uh, are they greeting people and, you know, do they have the right COVID processes in there? You know, it's just, you know, do they have their software? Do they, when you, when you go to check out, is it easy or, or the invoices are wrong? You know, I, it's just simple business. So let's, I, I kind of want to almost like reverse engineer this, right? Where when, when I talk about that, I want to talk, I want to start with the valuation side of it in general, right? And I sure. think that's something where a lot of a lot of our community might not have a firm understanding of valuation and mm -hmm. i think it's sometimes it's kind of this mysterious thing where you, we're going to leave that to the cpa right or we're going to leave that to the accountant so talk to us a little bit about valuation and and how you even come up with a, a maybe a price or uh, sure. if you're that owner that's five to 10 years out, what you should be aiming for to try and build your business so that you do get the maximum out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Walk me through the valuation side. I will do that. Um, and so valuation of businesses can really vary based on the type of business, the size of the business, the industry you're in, the competition, et cetera. And even within, within uh, the same industry, there can certainly be variations. So, I did some research uh, and got some research papers on this just so I was up on uh, the particular industry because again, it does vary um, on uh, multiples and things. So here, here's what I found. And I, what I found is a, a couple different sources. I talked to some brokers, I got some reports and I found pretty much the same thing from all of them, which, was, which is a good thing. So here's a few uh, rules of thumb so we're talking about selling price. So selling price uh, normally equals about 30 to 40. Uh, there, there's a number of different ways to look at it, but uh, one of them, the first one is annual net sales. So sales price could be 30 to 40% of net annual sales. And then to that number, so if you had a million dollars, that would be 300, let's say 300 to 400,000. And then to that, you add the inventory, okay? So the inventory, if you've got $100,000 of inventory, they would get that on top of that. And then of course, the land and the building uh, would be in addition to that as well. Not the equipment, the equipment is part of the building, that's what's creating the annual sales. So all of your lifts and your computers and things 
would be included in that 30 to 40% of net annual sales. Um, you would simply add inventory and then the value of the building and the real estate. So that's one, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, a second way to look at it is what we call uh, a multiple of SDE, SDE, which is seller's discretionary earnings. So seller's discretionary earnings is really the total compensation of the owner. So it equals the operating profit of the business, plus we add back uh, depreciation, which is uh, uh, a charge that's made against the assets of the, of the business to, um, as part of the, the profit and loss. Uh, and then we add back interest and taxes and we add in, uh, so SDE is really the total owner compensation. So think about it as we take the net profit and then we take his salary and then we add uh, his benefits and perks. So if they own a company automobile or they have, they've charged some personal travel or meals and entertainment and the owner's you know, health insurance, we add all that together uh, and that's what we call SDE. It's kind of their discretionary earnings or the amount they're taking out of the business, okay? So um, as with most cases, a larger shop gets a little bit higher valuation. So if we have a shop that has SDE of about $150,000 or more, then often it's about a three times SDE. So if you have $150,000 of seller's discretionary earnings, then that business could be worth about $450,000. If the SDE is under, under 150,000, that means it's just kind of a smaller shop. And, and that would often be anywhere from, you know, one and a half to two and a half per, uh, times the SDE. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's a second way of looking at it. A third way of looking at it is, uh, it, it's similar, it's called EBITDA. Uh, it, it, everybody who reads uh, the newspaper uh, and, and selling businesses often hear about EBITDA. It stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. It's kind of a cash flow uh, number. It's, it's similar to SDE, but three to three and a half times EBITDA would be a normal range uh, for the sale of a business. And again, a smaller one might be a little on the lower end and a, a larger business on the higher end. Uh, sometimes you hear about businesses selling for, you know, five and six and 10, even 10 times EBITDA. Uh, those are, you know, the ones that are, are much higher are the, you know, the sexier tech businesses that are growing fast. They're going to become multi-million or billion dollar businesses. But, uh, unfortunately, the auto shops, it, it's, it's really more of a three to three and a half times. So that, that's kind of a, uh, that's kind of a base, Jay. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I've got a number of other things I can mention that kind of relate back into that as well. Before you go into the, the other stuff, one thing that I, I always am confused on is how do you pick which model to value the business on, right? Like, I'm guessing if you're if you're a seller, you're going to want to, you're probably going to want to go the route that values it the most. And if you're a buyer, you're probably going to want to, to use the model that values it the least. How, how similar does the math come out in terms of 
say like these three different models and how a business is valued? Do they kind of get to the same ballpark of what a, what a business is valued at, uh, at the end of the day, you know, or is it, is there kind of differences between those models that would be beneficial to either the seller or the buyer? I, you know, I think Jay, I think these three methods should come fairly close. Um, obviously there's going to be differences. Uh, when you get a certified appraiser in, uh, in the appraisal industry, especially for IRS appraisals that, that relate back to, you know, taxes and things like that, the appraisers are required to use a number of different methods. And so they use a cash flow method and an asset sale method and a present value method. And, uh, you know, uh, similar sales, they have to look at similar sales. And, and what they do is they put those all together and then they kind of weight them, uh, you know, to, to kind of come up with an average, which kind of seems a little odd, but that's kind of what they do. But um, so, you know, it's, it's really, it, it, it's, it's an art more than a science. So you, you will get certainly some different numbers there and then it just becomes a negotiation as to, you know, what that owner wants or, or needs to get out of the business and is willing to sell it for and, and what a willing buyer, you know, the value of a business is what a willing buyer, <laughs> the, the willing buyer you can find will pay. So, you know, I mean, there's cases where they'll, you know, you'll have a willing buyer to pay much more. So what, what does it come down to in negotiation then? If you're, if you're sitting in there and you've done the math or you've got an appraiser that appraises a business at a certain level, where are the opportunities for negotiation? You know, I, I would take it as like, okay, this is what the appraiser said. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to respect that opinion. Where are opportunities to negotiate there? Sure. Well, the appraisal is is simply somebody taking numbers and and you know and looking at them and looking at what the industry. So the appraisal should come pretty close to um, you know a, a, a reasonable ballpark. But but then you know there there certainly can go up or down from there. And, and again, it's just a negotiation. One one thing you've got to think about is. Uh, most of these owners are going to go look for a bank loan. They're not going to come up with three or to four or five hundred thousand dollars of cash. And so, one of the things is the banks will only lend a, per, a certain percentage of the value of that business. Let's say they'll lend seventy percent. Well, they will look. They will most likely look to a certified appraisal. And so, you've you've got to kind of start with that. So, let's say you have it appraised at uh, five hundred thousand, but uh, the uh, uh, but you're asking you know you're asking you say no that's not right I'm going to ask six hundred thousand well if the owner you know if the the buyer has to go get a loan he may only be able to get seventy percent of five hundred thousand or three hundred and fifty and so he would have to come up with the other hundred thousand because the bank's just not going to lend on that, you know, on that, or, uh, that 80% of that extra hundred grand. So, so that, that's certainly one thing to think about. Uh, and then, you know, there's all of these other types of things that, um, you know, that, that, that come into play that I was going to bring up, 
you know, it, it's, it's, you know, the buyer, if they've got additional ideas or they've got ways to bring synergies into it, maybe they already own another shop, uh, you know, down the street or, or across town. And so they have synergies in, in their purchasing power and to be able to move uh, techs around and things, you know, that could give that individual buyer reason even to pay you know, a little more because he's, he's going to get those synergies. So maybe the buyer knows that or the seller knows that and says, oh, I know this guy, this is really going to be valuable to this guy. I'm going to raise the price a little bit. Yeah. So it, it just all becomes then a negotiation as to what the buyer and seller agree on. This is, this is really cool stuff. And I, where, where did the, the multiple thing come into play? I know this has been around for forever, but like when, when, when I talk, when I say that, why is a multiple or having something like that important? Like, is it, I'm guessing this wasn't dreamt up out of nowhere. This, like, no, there's, no, there's it, a reason it, for it. Jay, it's really all based on, um, it's all based on simple financial um, basics of kind of return on investment, right? So as you look at a business um, and you say, well, what should I pay for it? A normal business, so you can put uh, you can put your money in the stock market, and, and maybe you'll get you know five to eight percent on average a year. It might go down one year, it might go up twenty percent one year, right? Um, you can put it, you know, and there's some risk to that. You can put it in government bonds and and make about one percent right now. Sometimes a little bit higher, but when you when you invest in a business, there there's risk involved, right? And, and so really what they do is they look at the value. You start out with, you know, what is the value of those assets if I just sold those assets off? So that, that's kind of a minimum value that you would ever have, right? So that you're really not going to go any lower than what you could sell those assets off for. And, and then beyond that then, so if it can create uh, X amount of profit or SDE, seller's discretionary income, or earnings, it can create $150,000. That equates to kind of a return that you would get on your money, right? Uh, and, and so in the world of buying businesses, especially, you know, as we look at larger businesses, but the same for small, is that what, what is the return on investing my money in a similar asset or a similar business? And, and then you have to look at what is the risk. Okay, you know, one of the, maybe is the risk very high of, uh, you know, um, these kinds of shops, if you run the shop right, it's probably not a real risky business, unless you're a, not a good operator. But, um, you know, some businesses are riskier and the higher risk, the higher return, um, rate of return that you need to get on that business. And so it, it all kind of comes back to, if, if I pay too high a price, okay, then I've got to borrow more money and then I have to pay more interest and then I'm not going to get that return because I paid too much, right? Or, or my return on the assets or return on my investment it, it is, is going to be lower. So if I want a 10% return on my investment, but I pay too much, I'm only going to get a 9%. So there's kind of an equilibrium, a mathematical equilibrium uh, to get and, and and so the market out there kind of figures out you know what is the the right kind of return 
on this kind of a business with this amount of risk. And, and so three, you know, three to four, you know, two to three times SDE kind of gets you that equilibrium. That is really helpful. I, I <laughs> it, it, it's probably something you deal with all the time and you don't even think about it, but it, it is, uh, it's something where I think, you know, I'd read about valuations and read books about it in the past, but really the understanding of why a, a value or why a multiple is important is uh, you, you nailed that. That was, that was really good. Uh, so uh, talking through, you know, our customer base and, and really probably the listener base is a mixture of dealerships and independents. Do you have kind of an idea if if it is similar between the two or because the dealership has maybe a parts aspect and a, and a, and a sales aspect um, and a lot of dealerships in general are very sales driven, uh, is is there a difference in multiple between the two? Well, sure. If you're talking about a car dealership that also, you know, does, you know, Zimbrick or, you know, even a small one that does that. Yeah, there's a certainly a whole different picture in that. And I, I didn't really research that too much. But uh, now you have a huge, uh, a much different picture because the, uh, you have a, uh, you, you really have three different aspects of that. Number one, you have the the sale of the assets. So you've got the car sales. Then you have the parts sales, uh, which, which a deal, you know, which a shop does as well, but uh, there would be even more in a dealership as a percentage. And then you have the service, uh, the service side, right? And, and so you have really uh, a, a much different situation because each one of those drives you know, a, a lot of a, a lot of it with valuation. I, I'm guessing off the top of my head that a dealership would certainly be a higher valuation. Sure. Um, and um, I, I've, I've done some work for um, some different dealers, not car dealers, but uh, I've done some work for ag dealers and whatever. And yeah, the, the whole thing with the ag dealers is there's a number of different things that we look at to try to. Uh, I, I can get you this information later. I'm trying to think of some of the terms, but we really want we want to look at our parts business and our service business, and it has to bring in X amount of annual money as a percent of the total, because we all know that we're not going to make a ton of money on the cars themselves. You know, yes. they get discounted, but hopefully you sell more cars and you, you know you make some profit on that. But that percentage is small or, or a smaller percentage of, you know, the parts and the service business. So there, there's a whole piece to that of, of running a dealership and, and uh, certainly the valuation is going to be different. Well, and when I was on the, the dealership side, and it's funny that you say that because this, this was specific. I, I worked for Bobcat Company, so construction equipment and yeah. and uh, worked in ag dealerships as well. And uh one of the big things that we pushed was absorption rate. And I, I know a lot of the car dealerships exactly. do that as well, where you're, you're wanting to pay, you know, as much or all of the bills, hundred percent absorption was great where you're paying for all of the bills of the dealership with the service and parts. And sometimes it, it varied on whether they'd put a rental department in there or something like that. But um, you know, being able to pay the bills with, with that core foundation of your business and then having, 
the sales be kind of the icing on the cake was a, a, a really good approach and where we saw really successful dealerships kind of full, full go in and, there. And absorption was the word I was looking for. I just was lost in my head somewhere. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what uh, the word I was looking for is the absorption, uh, which is really the, the, the part sales and the service profit. Yes, yes, that's that's perfect. So, uh, speaking more to a an independent shop right now, do you if I'm a if I'm an owner and I want to start looking at the valuation of my business and starting to see and understand what this business is worth, who's the first call I make? Uh, what what do I do? Well, I would say um uh, a lot of the good size accounting firms, certainly uh, uh, a couple of different things. Uh, the accounting firms can be a good uh, source. Many times they have valuation people at the accounting firm. Um, there are other larger valuation companies, but eh, they're often dealing primarily with, you know, a little bit larger companies. The other thing I, that I would do is, is talk to a good business broker. Most of these, if you're going to go sell it on the market, you don't have an insider. Uh, again, a lot, a lot of these sell to insiders or family or whatever, you know, uh, but talk to a good business broker. Um, there's a number of them around you want to, you want to research and find, but you know, they'll have industry data that they may have sold one. They may be selling one right now. And, and they'll be able to give you a lot of this detail. And, and they're, they're, they make all of their money on selling you for a higher price because they get a percentage. And so they're gonna do all they can to, to give you some ideas as well as to how to increase the value of, of that business. So I, I think that your accountant um, talking to a, uh, uh, a business broker, you know, possibly another appraisal firm, but, and even reading on the internet, you know, I, yeah. before this meeting, I just got on the internet and I, I found a ton of, a ton of articles. I mean, what we always say is prepare for your exit. Don't just wake up one day and say, oh, geez, I don't want to go through another COVID or another 2008. Uh, I'm tired. I just want to sell. Uh, you really need to prepare for your exit to make it what we call a successful exit. And a successful exit is not just, you know, the price that you get, but it's being able to actually sell the business versus not sell it at all. Yeah. It's be able to sell it in a reasonable time period. It's, it's be able to, do I want to stay in the business and, and sell it and keep working for a while? Uh, or do I want to, uh, I just want to get out and, and go buy a boat and be on the water. So there's a lot of things really, if you spend a minimum of a year getting ready uh, for that sale, you know, you can start saying, well, how do I increase my profits a little bit? How do I get my books a little bit better? We, we were going to talk about uh, your books and how important yeah. it is to have good records. You know, are my books in order? Do I, can I clean up the shop and paint it a little bit? Uh, can I get some, some more, uh, you know, I've been thinking about going down and talking to that company down the street that just, you know, it seems like they've got a fleet of cars. Why, you know, maybe this is the time to go talk to them and say, why aren't you repairing at my place? Because if we get, if we get a, uh, a, a the fleet for this, you know, they got 20 cars there. Uh, that's quite what we call recurring revenue. 
uh, because we, we know that here's a business that's going to continue selling this car, sending us cars month after month after month. And so recurring revenue in any business increases the valuation because it's kind of a known ongoing source of revenue versus hoping that somebody drives in, you know, to get their car fixed. Can I talk to some insurance companies, uh, you know, uh, on, on doing some of their repairs? Oh, now if I can do some of those things, all of a sudden, you know, in the next two years, I might, I might be able to increase that multiple from two and a half to three and a half. Um, I may inc and, and, and include increase the revenue from, you know, 800,000 to a million two. And if you do the math, every, you know, every $50,000 just multiplies many, many times. And so yeah. uh, why would you not, you should, these are things that, you know, an aggressive owner would, should be doing all of the time. But if, if you've gotten kind of tired or just not spending as much time in the last couple of years, why wouldn't you do that, you know, and, and work your butt off, you know, for the, uh, another year or two and get the, some of these things in place before you sell. That is fascinating. Uh, now, when you talk recurring, um, and this is where I've learned a little bit from, you know, Mark, my business partner, uh, and he's corrected me on this uh, a, a few times. And I think it took a little bit to drill into my head of like what qualified as recurring, right? Or what, what a true recurring system is. When, when you're in that scenario where you're going to go talk to that fleet, how do you prove that, right? Is it through a contract? Is it through just a, a, you see the revenue on, on the P&L every month and that's how you, you judge it? How, how do you judge what true recurring is if you're looking at a business? Yeah, well, certainly um, a contract certainly is going to be better, but I'm, I'm guessing there's not many of these businesses, you know, as being a CFO of a company, I can probably tell you that there's not a lot that are going to sign a contract with a, you know, a place like, you know, a, a auto repair place. But if you can, that would be more valuable. If you had a, you know, a three-year contract, then it's like, ooh, we've got that locked in for three years. So the more of that, the better. So I, I, I think just being able to have good books and records and, and be able to show, hey, you know, you can, here you can see every single month last year, we got in, you know, on average, four cars from these people or, or um, these kinds of things. We put a new engine in, we, you know, we, we've done all of their oil changes. And so just having good books and records is really important. So let's talk about that uh, a little bit more in depth. When, when we talk about good books and good records, what are we talking about? Sure. So it, it really having accurate, um, accurate, and timely financials, meaning accounting books and records is, is really important for every business. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting. It's something that a lot of people don't understand. Accounting is just one of those things that if you're not an accountant, haven't had accounting programs uh, or, or education, it, it's kind of a, something a lot of people just kind of stay away from and, and really they, they need to understand. I spend most of my time helping businesses to understand what their numbers are. I, I help them with accounting, um, but what I do is I help them get the accurate and timely financials in a way that it gives them numbers to help understand their business. So 
having accurate and timely financials is not just in selling your business. It's to have good records uh, to, to tell you what's going on in the business. Where am I making money? Where am I not making money? Where do I make the most money? Who, who are my best customers? How much money do I make from that fleet down there? Uh, is it 10% of my revenues? Is it, you know, uh, 15? Uh, so understanding and having accurate books is it, just good business to understand uh, where and how you make money and to make better decisions with it. So that's, that's where we start. From there though, as we talked on valuation, everything about selling your business uh, or the value of your business kind of relates to your financials and how profitable you are. So the, when you sell a business and you say, okay, uh, it's gonna be three times SDE and we agree on that, well, the, the buyers are gonna come in and they wanna to wanna to look at the books and confirm that that's the SDE or talk to your accountants. And so, you know, if, you're, if your books aren't right and they get in there, it's like, wait a minute, their books are awful. They're, you know, they, they use QuickBooks, but you know, they, it seems like they don't record things very well. It just looks awful. I, I'm not, I don't have much confidence that these things are accurate. And, and so, you know, um, you know, have they been charging all kinds of personal stuff in here or, or what is it? And, and so if the books, if, if a, a buyer through what's called due diligence, you've heard the word due diligence is when a buyer comes in and they want to confirm, hey, oh, they do have a fleet down the street or, or how many did they do? They, you know, is their annual revenue really a million dollars? If they, when, when they come in to do that due diligence, if they find issues or it looks kind of fishy, what are they going to do? They're going to say, oh, I don't know, that, I, that's a little risky, you know, I'm not sure about these guys. And so that's going to either make them walk away or else it's going to absolutely lower the price or the multiple. And, and so having a good understanding of that, having good books and records makes a lot of difference just running your business and then especially when you're going to sell it and and even having your accountant kind of certify those books or or spend a little bit of time with them can help the, um, the a potential buyer uh there, there's one other thing that here i think that's really important to small businesses and uh this relates probably not as much to you know to auto shop owners as it does to bars and, and, and others, but I think it's an important thing to say. Sometimes businesses, eh, we're, all, we're all people, it's like, oh, I get some cash in my business, it'd be easy not to report that, right? Um, and I'm not saying that anybody or any of these listeners are, are, would, would, would ever do that, but I wanna show you how that could backfire on you, okay? So, it, it, it might be easy to take some cash out of that business without reporting it and, and say revenue. So let's say on average you take, you've got a million dollar business or a $500,000 business and you take $10,000 out as cash, you know, and then really don't report it on your books, right? So what does that do? It, you get the cash, you, you, you don't record uh, you don't record it from the IRS, so you could get in trouble, but maybe you'll never get caught. But you might have paid, uh, on that $10,000, you might have paid twenty or $2,000 of taxes on that, right? So two to $3,000 at the most. 
Um, and, and so by, by taking that out, you've saved yourself two or $3,000 of taxes. Well, now we come to sell the business. Now the earnings are now $10,000 lower than they would be before, right? Because you took 10,000 out. So that goes right to the bottom line. So guess what you just did? We just said SDE or um, EBITDA is now $10,000 lower. So now you've just lost three to three and a half times that, 30 to $35,000 of sale price because you, because you wanted to save $2,000 in taxes. Wow. That makes sense? It does. And I've never heard it uh, been phrased that way. That is, that is really good stuff. Sure. It's, yeah. I, I, it's just an interesting part of the, uh, of accounting, you know, you, you kind of uh, save yourself 2000, but uh, you know, now if you've done that for the last 20 years, you might've saved a lot more, you know, than, than you would uh, at a minimum. And I'm, you know, everybody should report all of their income, but if, if you have been doing that and you want to sell your business in the next couple of years, stop doing it. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> No kidding. My goodness. That, that's great stuff. What if you're on the other side of that, right? Where you, you are looking at looking at selling your business, but historically you haven't been good at keeping good books. Mm -hmm. What, what do you do to change? And, and what, is it hiring somebody? Is it um, like, what, what do you do to, to really start that process and, and really get it turned in the right direction? Yeah, it's really not too hard. Uh, what I would do is I would, would go to uh, one of the local CPA firms or bookkeeping firms. Uh, you know, a number of places do. Uh, you know, some business, small businesses are large enough where they get their own bookkeeper and, and track it all. And then I still often have the CPA take a look at it or the accounting firm. Uh, there are accounting, uh, there are bookkeeping and accounting firms that'll actually do the books for you, and you send them all the records, and they put them all together. But in any case, uh, most of the CPA firms around uh, or accounting firms uh, can send somebody in and help you set up your QuickBooks, you know, or your. Uh, I, I'm guessing a number of you may have uh, uh, these shops might have systems that interface with QuickBooks or or their own little accounting systems that are part of the, uh, uh, the dealers, you know, the dealer system. So it, it's really not that difficult to get set up. There's certainly some money involved, but it's money well spent. Because again, understanding your financials and where your cash flow is, um, other than just looking at your checkbook balances is just really important. Yeah. And that's, I, I think, one one thing and and finish off or like I'll finish this statement with um, kind of just a, a something that I see, which is when a and more so in the independent side, when when it maybe a, a tech starts a shop or somebody, you know, it goes in that doesn't have a, a typical business background. I think what they're doing as much as anything is just trying to fight to pay the bills. Right. And, and, mm -hmm. and almost to the point to where they see that if they make any money, like they almost feel bad about it. Like I, in, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that the right way, but I don't know if, if you've seen that in your experience where you have to almost like the behaviors of an owner, you, you have to say, you know what, it, it is in your best interest and it's in the best interest of the business that you do make money and you need to do that. And it's almost to me, a change in mindset. Sure. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of difference. Uh, you know, we should talk in a bit about, you know, uh, a tech wanting to become an owner because yeah. there's, there's a lot of things in being an owner that's different than turning a wrench um, and being a, uh, a, a good technician. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I fully agree with you there. Well, why don't we talk about that? Uh, where, you know, if, if I'm a technician, if I'm coming from the shoes of a technician, how, uh, you know, I, I know I've talked to a lot of techs that want that next step. They want to maybe start their own shop or buy out an existing shop. What, uh, what are some good things to know for, for that technician that might be looking? Sure. It's really every so everything we've talked about before is important. Um, really understanding the business well from the technician side is good because you know I, I would think to own one of these shops if you didn't understand that you know how the shop ran, then um, that would it'd be tough to be a good owner. So I think being a technician first is, is a, a great way to to then become an owner, but. Uh, then you need to ask a number of questions. Uh, first of all, uh, do I really understand what it means to be an owner? I'm now gonna have to hire people, supervise them, train them, discipline them. Um, do I have the temperament for that? Is, is that really where I want, you know, do I, uh, do I want to, start spending time doing that. I mean, I love fixing cars, but now I'm going to spend most of my time, you know, doing a lot of paperwork, dealing with, uh, uh, you know, dealing, you know, I, I've got to keep up with the requirements for human resources, all of the state rules and regulations. Oh, these new COVID regulations are in. I could get in trouble if I don't have these policies and procedures written. So I've got to spend, 10 hours putting these procedures together. Uh, am I following, you know, I've got to get workers comp insurance and I've got to deal with the insurance people and I've got to do my accountants and I've got to keep the books and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of things, you know, especially on the uh, personnel. Oh my God, I, another person just quit How, where am I going to, you know, so you're dealing with all of those kinds of things. And so the first question is, is that something that I want to do? Um, do you have a, a tolerance for risk? Uh, you know, if, if the business doesn't do well, can I afford to lose some money? Do you have 20 to 30% um, cash down payment for, for to, to buy this? Because the bank isn't going to loan you 100% of, of that value. Or on, on the other side, um, you know, if, if you a better way is can you work with the current owner or can you find a shop where the owner wants to sell in a few years and learn from him or her? Uh, that would be a great way to do it. If the, your current business is you know, not going to be selling, maybe you can go find one of these that we're talking about, one of these owners that's looking at selling uh, and learn from them. But it would be good to learn about insurance and bookkeeping and things, uh, learn about all of the aspects of managing and running the business uh, before you were just, you know, said, oh, I'm a tech, I'm going to go, yep, my uncle lent, my rich uncle uh, lent me $300,000, I'm going to start tomorrow. Well, it would be good to understand some of those other things and, and, and learn from them, uh, learn from an owner first. So yeah. anyway, 
uh, being an owner is much different than being a technician. Um, so some of those things that would, would certainly come into play. Well, and I think I've learned that, uh, you know, I, it's one thing to say that you're, you're good at something or that you want that you, you like doing something, but it's a big dose of reality for a lot of technicians when they get into an office and it, maybe not even just from a, an ownership aspect, but even from a, uh, a point of like they're going in, going to manage and your priorities change. The job is just different and you have to look at yourself in the mirror and, and know that, Hey, when, when those downtimes come, do I want this bad enough to keep it going? And it, it's, it's uh, from a, from a, uh, my, my standpoint, from a business owner standpoint is you're going to have those experiences where you got to fight like hell to, to get through them. And it's, you know, I don't think anybody could have envisioned COVID being what it is uh, today, but there's, you know, it, it's a, it's having a huge impact on a lot of businesses out there and you have to have the fortitude to be able to, to push through that stuff. And that's maybe something where when, when you're looking at, buying a business that can get over it can you can look past it really easily because you you see the kind of the glamour of owning a business but there's some really tough parts of owning a business that uh, i think techs need to understand absolutely absolutely all right so what else is there anything we haven't touched on here rick that that you you feel like is important to the conversation or um that uh that might have some parting good words for for our, our audience here? I'll just go over some notes I have here a little bit. Um, you know, as far as far as valuation, you know, we've got the money pieces, but uh, let's remember, you know, having good uh, management and staff in place and, and low turnover, you know, things like the number of service bays, uh, your reputation, um, you know, your equipment in a condition, your location, those are all important. Um, as far as, uh, you know, how long does it take to go through the sale of a business? Remember, it can take a long, it can take quite a while and there's a lot to it. You know, sometimes up to a year, sometimes more. So again, you want to prepare, but you have to find the right buyer. You have to negotiate the sale. You might have to get environmental reviews for the land. You've got to get bank loans. Bank loans can get uh, turned down. You've got to get appraisals. They have to come in to do, do due diligence. Uh, it, it happens very often. Somebody comes in, does the due diligence, and it takes you know two months to get that done. And then they say, eh, I'm not interested." Um, and and you waste you know you think you've wasted two minute uh, two months. Or they go to get the business loan, and uh, you know that drags on and on. And they've got, they're at their third bank, and then oh, nobody will lend the money. So now I got to start again, go find somebody. So all of these things uh, take, a, you know, can take time. Now you might find somebody that walks in the door and, and they do it in two months. And so, uh, but it, it always takes some time to, uh, to do that. You know, on the selling side as a shop owner, um, we always want to talk a little bit about, you know, where do I start when thinking about transitioning the business, you know, how much money do I need to retire? Uh, if I sell this business and I, you know, I get the appraisal or the estimate from the broker or the appraiser company, is that enough money to, uh, for me to live on? Or am I gonna have to keep working and get another job? 
do I want to keep working? Do I want to do I want to sell this to the highest bidder as soon as possible? Or do I want to find a, an employee and, and train that person to keep my legacy going and work over the next couple of years to transition this to an employee? But I also have to remember what happens if I work with that employee for a year and he decides to move with his wife to California. Uh, I've, I've just lost a year and now I got to start over again or, or change my plan. So thinking about that a little bit, what am I going to do afterwards? Um, you know, do I like to play golf or what am I going to do? So just some of the things that the owner as an owner has to think about their future before they own, I think is, is important as well. I found a checklist uh, for building a world-class, there's an article on the internet called Checklist for Building a World-Class Shop. Mm. Uh, again, simple Google about selling your business, but it, I, I thought it was good. It was by an individual, I think his name was Cooper. Uh, but it said, here's some things that they said were made it valuable. Having the right look, uh, equipment that's, uh, you know, good equipment that's, that's in, in good shape. What services do I offer, the type of services? Systems and processes, do I, you know, one of the things that you want to make sure is, do you have good systems and processes that are repeatable? You know, are, is every technician kind of doing his own thing or do you have some standards in there and standards on paperwork? Uh, how about my parts? Do I carry a lot of parts? Do I use OEM parts or other parts? And, and what do I do there? My pricing, how does that relate to the, the competitors? My integrity. Uh, having the right people and the right training, employee safety. Uh, that's a big, big, big thing. Community involvement and environmental consciousness, you know, that, that, that can bring you more business and, and who are you in the community. And then a record of customer satisfaction certainly is. Uh, so th that was Cooper's. Uh, but I, other than that, I think we've pretty well covered pretty well covered it this is great stuff i i think i could just talk to you forever on this stuff because i i it's it's thing these are things that i've i've studied a little bit myself but just have just scratching the surface on this stuff because it is i mean talking to somebody like you and and being able to kind of pick your brain about it is just awesome this was this was a lot of fun and i i appreciate you being on the podcast Absolutely. No, it's fun. I appreciate doing it. Happy to answer our questions as they come along. And uh, uh, it's fun. It's, it's really not rocket science at all. A lot of this information is on the internet. I encourage you, if you're going to be looking at buying or selling, just to get on and, and Google buying a business, selling a business, and, and also put in there, uh, you know, Google, uh, you know, buying or selling a uh you know, uh, an auto repair shop, because there's a lot of articles out there that are very specific to this and will give you good ideas. So where, where do people find you at, Rick? How, how, uh, how would somebody get in touch with you? I will give you my email address is rperrin, R-P as in Paul, E-R-R-I-N, at B, the letter B, the number two, the letter B, CFO.com. So it's our parent at B2B CFO.com. Uh, I'll give you my phone number, 608-576-3773. And then if you uh, want to go to my website, you go to B2BCFO.com 
slash Rick dash Perrin and you'll find me All right. in Madison, Wisconsin. All right. That sounds great. I Thanks yeah. again, Rick, for, uh, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, for those of you that haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to Beyond the Wrench. Uh, we're on YouTube. Uh, we're also on Spotify, uh, iTunes, anywhere you find your, your podcasts at. Uh, please go out and, and subscribe. We'd uh, love to have you as a listener and, and uh, get to uh, listen to us kind of talk like we did with Rick today and, and, uh, and hear some really, really cool insights from some smart people. So uh, thanks again, Rick, and, and have a good day. You bet.